0: Some days it feels like a person needs a PhD in politics to keep up with the legislation bubbling around the Kansas capital. The heavy volume of pay 12 education bills in the House and Senate makes me feel that way. For years, it was all about the money. Dollars still matter, but there is a newfound emphasis by legislators on education policy. There's a sense, looking at the 22 list of education bills, that some state lawmakers feel they need to micromanage classrooms from preschool through high school. Here to help us on the Kansas Reflector podcast with insights into this legislative evolution are Lauren Tice Miller, a Shawnee Heights School Board member and a lobbyist with the Kansas National Education Association, Michael Rebney, a teacher in the Kansas Kansas Public School District, and a Roland Park City Council member, I think, Uh, and Kathy Harrell, a Tonganoxie Middle School teacher. Welcome to you all. Thank you. for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. So we're going to get into some of the legislative stuff, but I wanted to just see your sense of, of uh, you know, from an educational perspective of people on the ground there, what's your sense uh, about the realities of public education during the pandemic? How are things going? Do you, Michael, do you want to start, you know, your experience?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I, I think as, as teachers, just part of the job that we do um you know we're always expected to adapt and be flexible and and make make things work whatever the context and situation and by and large we do that so you know i want to make sure that i um, affirm that but i also know that um you know more more than usual a lot of um, teachers have been uh talking seriously about leaving the profession um leaving the profession permanently i think it um in terms of just a, a core um, sense of safety, in terms of coming into work, um, that's been been very weighed very heavily on on teachers and students. Frankly, we've had a lot of mixed information about um, in guidance in terms of what what uh, teachers and students should be doing to protect themselves from coronavirus. Um, I will say that in the Kansas City, Kansas school district, I've, I've been happy that. Um, I, I feel like the, the district has been a, a bit ahead of the game and proactive. Um, they were one of the first districts last year to announce uh, remote schooling and commit to that, you know, in the interest of safety for teachers and students. And this year we've been committed uh, to mask wearing, um, you know, in the buildings. But that said, you know, uh, not everybody wears their mask properly. Not everybody has uh, the kind of quality mask that, w- that would actually. Uh, protect everyone. And in, in the midst of that, as, as folks um, get sick, a lot of people have been out. It's been difficult to find substitute teachers and, and all of those things um, sort of add up to the, to the regular responsibilities and, and burdens of, of teaching in terms of co- covering other teachers' classrooms, doing additional duties. Um, and, you know, our, our compensation as you probably know, has not has not risen in accordance uh, with the new responsibilities and duties. So that that I think is is pushing a lot of teachers um, out of, out of the profession, irrespective of of uh, these terrible bills that I know we'll talk about as well. Yeah.
0: yeah, you teachers and journalists, you know, we're all in there together and uh, salaries that are less than desirable. Uh, Kathy Harrell and Tonganoxie, what's your sense of COVID?
2: Um, yes, um, Michael teaches in a slightly different di- district than I do. Um, Tom Noxie is kind of rural slash suburban. And um, I, I too have, it's been quite a challenge. My husband's also a teacher and we feel like it's kind of trying to pilot a plane while it's, it's in the air as we're going. It, it's been difficult. Um, but I have been very pleased. We have not been remote as long as KCK was but have been pleased for our little smaller more rural population. I've been very pleased that our board has tried to adhere to the mass mandates. I think they've, they have looked at the science. It has been difficult in terms of covering each other's classes, but, but, but I, I suppose it's been doable. But it has certainly, certainly been a challenge, no, no, no doubt about it. But as Michael said, I think we have risen to the occasion and tried to be as flexible as possible and, and for the most part you know, got through
3: the best we could.
0: Lauren, from a school board perspective, I know COVID's been controversial in Shawnee Heights.
3: It has. And and I will preface that, you know, I, I serve on the board. I've been there. Um, I'm in my second term. This is uh, technically, I think, my sixth year. I'm not speaking on behalf of our entire board, but I'll speak to my, my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And you know, I've only been in this position with KEA for for a few months now, but um, have very much been an advocate um, for for teachers in public schools for uh, for many many years. And with that said, you know, it's been a really stressful time. Um, you know, when the when the pandemic first started, teachers were hailed as the heroes um, because there was such a quick shift from um from in-person learning to remote and we we carried out the year and then everybody went straight into work through the summer to make the plans to get everybody um as safe and healthy as possible in the classrooms and then there was a period of time where where the the narrative shifted a little bit and the attitude changed and people started um you know directing their frustrations towards school board members and and towards our teachers. And quickly we were seeing our teachers um, becoming the villains in all of this because they were not only wanting safe and healthy learning environments for the students, but they were wanting safe and learning working environments. Um, And so there became this conflict where, uh, you know, parents were coming to to school boards and and asking that everybody be brought back into the school building um, and uh, medical experts were recommending otherwise. And, uh, and, and so there became this, this conflict and parents then started claiming that school boards weren't listening to them when the reality was school boards were hearing them. They were listening to them, but f- in, in many cases for every one person who was asking for every one parent asking for schools to be back, you know, f- in person, there were two three four and more parents asking no please follow the experts please follow the medical professions please make sure that my student is in a safe and healthy learning environment and then you know you add in the teachers who also were asking i want to be in my classroom but i want to make sure that it's a safe environment for me and for my students
0: we're going to start working on some of this looking through some of this legislation and if some of you don't have any thoughts about a particular bill. That's fine. You know, I know you. Uh, I'm grateful that you spend most of your time uh, working on educating kids and and not studying the legislature. But you know, I'm wondering if the the parents that you encounter in, in your in your work do they come to you and say, "We need massive reform of public education. We need private funding. I mean, public funding of private schools." Do, is there concern about the books in the library to the extent that they need to be labeled with with warning stickers? Uh, do we need to abandon vaccination policies that have been around for fifty years? You know, do you, do you get people coming to you and saying, "Change now, change now," Lauren?
3: So the conversation has evolved over the past two years so it started out with we want our kids back in the classroom in person to then the battle against whether we're going to wear masks while we are back in school and then it shifted away from masks to talking more about um books and what's actually going on in the classroom and there was there's a sense of um there's a belief that there's secrecy and that things are being taught in the classroom that aren't actually being taught in the classroom. So we are seeing, there have been a few challenges of, of some of our library materials, and we have a process in place for how parents can bring those forward and, and request a review of those books. And we at, at, at Shawnee Heights are actually in the middle of that process where we have board policies that allows parents to raise objections. And then there is a um, you know, an independent committee that gets assembled to review those and then they will make their recommendation to the board on on what they think the, the next step would be. But ultimately, that decision comes down to the local school board. So you're suggesting
0: happens. there's a process by which people can come to the school board and request some of these changes, not necessarily people advocating for reform of state law. Um, Correct. Michael, Kathy, any thoughts there?
1: Yeah, i um. I, I would uh, say that you know, my answer largely is no in, in the Kansas City, Kansas School District. And I also see a, a racial lens on this. I think um, largely it's been white people organized by the right wing uh, to push back against vaccination mandates, to push back against mask wearing, to, to, to buy into this phony science you know, which is which is really unfortunate because it ends up harming all of our health. Um, you know, where I teach, which is uh, largely communities of color, uh, you know, and I don't sit on the school board. So I imagine they, they would have a, maybe a slightly more nuanced view. But but in terms of, you know, pushback from parents and, 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 and students around, you know, vaccines and, and, and mask wearing and that sort of thing that doesn't, that doesn't exist with the same sort of fervor that I believe that it exists in in wider communities. So I, um, you know, want to make sure that we, we look at that as well.
0: Now, Kathy, different experience?
2: Um, Somewhat, and, and Michael's correct, not the overwhelmingly a white community. We're about 96% white, somewhat of an outlier in, in today's world. We, we have, I have not personally been approached with anyone about and I teach history, so I, I teach that hot button subject. But never, I've not been personally approached by any parents about how I teach history or what I teach. I am not aware we've had li- concerns about our library books. However, this fall, our school board election, we did have two two school board candidates that were for you know, lesser vaccine requirements. They were anti mask, and they did include in their flyer CRT. But they were both um, they were not voted into office. The incumbents both won. So even though we are more of a rural white community, it's kind of, as Lauren said, I think the majority of parents have been okay with what we have put in place. There's always a small vocal minority, but for the most part, I've been pleased that there there hasn't been a huge amount of pushback from the majority of the community on these issues.
0: It kind of, I I like the fact that there's a diversity of perspectives. No, we don't need lockstep communities. So I think that's a good thing. I did want to touch on critical race theory. Uh, which has been an issue of of prevalence in the State House in this session. Representative Christy Williams, an Augusta Republican, she chairs the A House Education Committee. She suggested that critical race theory was basically infiltrating Kansas schools and uh, forcing children to uh, take on feelings of shame, depression, and anxiety. She says, if you are confronted with the fact that you, because of the color of the skin, are racist, and you are the problem, and that can manifest shame, especially in adolescents and women. And she connected it to suicide, uh, of of youth. So did anybody have any experience along those lines that that the discussion of history, critical race theory, or or even as something tangential to that has has caused this kind of phenomena among kids?
2: No, a- absolutely not. I teach eighth graders. And I I have always tried to take a very balanced view about our history. I do not shy away from the controversial topics, but I also promote the real positives. And I think kids this age want that information. I think they are mature enough and old enough to handle that information. And and again, that idea of, of, as you said earlier, Tim, kind of a variety of perspectives in history. And I've taught for lots of years. I've never been aware of anything. Um, you commented on the flag I have in my classroom when, when the kids walk in Tuesday, we'll talk a little about that flag, and I'll, I'll address those concerns and, and talk about how the past relates to the present, and I think I, I always tell students that as a citizen of this country, if someone lives there, you do need to know our history, but I also believe that the purpose of studying history is to relate it to how we see things today. I think that's the whole purpose of studying it and never had a lot of pushback from parents or felt like I have damaged any students to that end, I
0: guess. And you have, you're, you're making note of the Confederate battle flag to your left. Yes. Yes. You also have other flags on the wall there. Yes, I it's present. hard
2: to see. But then on the other side of the room, I have the Union flag that flew over Fort Sumter. So okay. that, that balance, that perspective, and, and, and the, the feeling that while this, this symbol is appropriate in a history classroom, we'll have that discussion about what does it mean in 2022. And I think those tough topics are worth discussing, certainly.
0: OK, uh, Lauren knows this. She was in the State House for some of these hearings uh, in the past week. There's some big bills uh, in the Senate and House that deal with a bill of rights, an education bill of rights. And a, uh, a representative of the conservative Goldwater Institute in Phoenix uh, parachuted into the debate <clears throat> and said, we need this because parents don't know what's going on in the classroom. They're just disconnected. The teachers are doing a bunch of things in secret, and they're really spreading politically charged content throughout every grade and subject area. And uh, he's, he's glad that about 20 states have introduced educational transparency legislation uh, comparable to what's in Kansas. And he says what the challenge is, is that history, science, math, and other subject teachers are, are bringing politics in the classroom and trying to open the eyes of students to a more enlightened or woke worldview. So Michael, do you wanna address the issue of, of a Bill of Rights that really is aimed at uh, requiring each school district to put a bunch of information online so parents can read it about the curriculum, uh, professional development, all this other kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. um, So so the first thing I I feel about it is I feel like it's targeted against public schools and educators um, to make us feel uh, marginalized, to make us feel vulnerable, to make us feel distrusted. And ultimately, to uh, I think that the end goal there for the right is to dismantle public schools, um, because it is um, because they see it as um, such a large uh, revenue source and such a large source of power that they would like to have um, control over. Um, so I I feel like it's it's pretty sort of nakedly that to be frank. And I've read some of the this House Bill 2662, and what I find especially uh, offensive is the reference to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which of course was to address the marginalization of black and and other students of color within our school system, which which still persists today. So that is an ongoing issue that we need the Civil Rights Act to continue to address. But this is being used to center uh, white students and largely white communities, which is actually the opposite of what it was intended. So in that way too, it's a, it's a sort of, it's a racialized way uh, to pull some power back uh, and, and continue to um, have our schooling system really center on uh, white students. And, and, and part of the irony and part of what you know, makes me frustrated and, and makes me wanna push back against that even harder is that I believe in, and I think Ms. Harrell can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was during reconstruction where black communities were building schools in their communities that is actually the origin of public schooling in this country. But up until this day, black indigenous and other students of color have not been centered in our educational system. And that is something that I know that the NEA recently um, has been working very um, strongly on and making sure that we, we bring a level of cultural competence um, to our classrooms, particularly as white educators. Um, also, as, as, a, as a member of SEARCH, showing up for racial justice, we have an education core. Um, and we're working to support fellow educators and students to bring these ideas into the classroom because ultimately it doesn't just benefit students of color, it, it benefits all of us, white students uh, included, to understand. Um, you know, as Ms. Harrell mentioned, all of the, all of the diverse perspectives um, that we can, and so what I would like to see is the legislature continue to support teachers and educators who know what, what they're doing and are invested in the learning, supporting each other to continue to improve education for our mm-hmm. students rather than, than um, pushing in to, to go the, the opposite direction from what, you know, what, what most educators and, and parents and students want the kids. So, um,
0: Lauren, if, if I could jump in here, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the requirements of the Bill of Rights and the disclosure, a lot of that information I think parents could get if they just asked for it or some of it's just simply available, uh, but this would uh, kind of codify it into state law. But the detail required of each school district in terms of public reporting of their curriculum and so forth, it's so specific that it, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, these are lawyers And this is pre discovery for a lawsuit against public schools. I mean, it's they you want they want citations and email addresses for organizations that provide professional development. You know, it just goes on and on and on. There's a lot of detail there. So what what do you think about that?
3: I, I want to talk for just a second about about the process surrounding these bills. We were. We've heard that some 300 emails were sent to committee members, um, the majority of which were opposing the bill. A number of people had signed up to testify orally, um, but they cut off uh, how many could actually come. And so we had three opponent or three proponents and 14 opponents. Um, the three opponents got to split the 10 minutes or get to spl- got to split the 30 minutes, so they had 10 minutes each, whereas the opponents had to also split the 30 minutes and only had two minutes each. And in this bill, they also want to make sure that um, um, school boards give all taxpayers an opportunity to speak. So in addition to that, uh, so my point here is I wasn't able to get to everything in my testimony, and this is the very fact that that I wasn't able to get to. And that is um, this is exactly an opportunity, for uh, teachers to have to publish everything that they are using so that it can be used to, to cherry pick information and use it either against our teachers, um, in, in potential litigation or just for a pure uh, campaign of misinformation to villainize our teachers. Um, there's, there's a lot of concern uh, that given some of the ambiguity in the language, actually, um, in terms of the timeline of, of when these, these items have to actually be published, And you know, some of the Senate bills have. One of the Senate bills has a penalty tied to it that if they're not cited properly, the school district can be stripped of funding. And so, one of our main concerns is that it will have a chilling effect because we believe school boards would be get left with no choice, given the ambiguity, to establish their own policies at the school district level that would require teachers to publish all of their items before the beginning of school and not deviate from it because of the fear of litigation or penalty of having their funding stripped so we think it would be we we think there would be a a severe chilling effect because teachers wouldn't be able to be spontaneous in the classroom
0: yeah which is what they've uh, asked educators to be to have specific program of education for each child that was the idea to be right. specific and precise to each kid's needs. That, that, that was a goal, I think, and a laudable goal, uh, but it also takes a lot of work. And And now, now we're trying to lock people down. It just seemed odd. It seemed odd. I wanted to skip to the idea of shifting public resources into private schools, if I could. There's a bill out there that, uh, if a, child, if a parent wants to remove their kid from public school, they could do so. And the state funding that is educating that child would go into a savings account, an interest-bearing account, I think, for, for those, those families. And that could be used for private tuition, transportation to the private school, books, tutoring, and all this other stuff. Do you, think, do you all think that, that public schools, are because there's been an increase recently, are just totally flush with money? And uh, can just sacrifice this, uh, this cash to the uh, private school system. Anyone?
1: I, no, uh, would <laughs> would be my, my simple answer to that. Um, understanding the the you know the classroom resources that we're working with, understanding you know the, the situation with uh, teacher salaries and support for you know students who want to go on to college and, and so forth. All all of these these goals that we have and, and we're pushing for. Um, but, but the answer is no, and I think, again, this is a, uh, an, an obvious attempt to, to dismantle the public education system, uh, to shift resources away, and to also cherry-pick um, the students who are already um, the most well-resourced and, and, and privileged, um, and whatever public school system is left after that is, is going to have to serve the folks who are um, less resourced and less privileged. And uh, which will make us, you know, an even bigger target for this right wing um, movement to, to uh, ultimately get rid of us. So, so I, that, you know, so I know that we need to, you know, continue to contact legislatures, le- legislators and push back against these bills because our survival is at stake.
0: Kathy, from Tonganoxie, what's your sense of this kind of thing? You got piles of cash in the cabinet behind you? <laughs>
2: just absolutely what Michael said, just... Um, the idea that as he said, kids that are already resourced and parents that already probably have a choice of uh, pulling their kids from the public school will just have more resources and it, it does just seem to be it's hard to not see it as somewhat of an, an, an attack on public schools it really it really is it really
0: no is. I, I, I think it definitely is It's certainly attack on the money that's going to right, public schools exactly. uh, but some people certainly want to attack teachers as well because you're a bunch of socialists I think uh, <laughs> and everybody knows that. I, I've never group of, met a larger group of agnostic political people than was in the Lawrence Elementary School I volunteered in. Most people, you know, there's there's some a handful of super conservative, handful of very liberal, and there's a whole bunch of people in the middle who've got a lot of other things in life to do than worry about uh, the things that I write about every day. Uh, I did want to touch upon a bill that would uh, provide a bonus pool for edu-teachers' salaries, and it would take I think help me help me. Uh, Uh, Lauren, if I'm wrong, fifty million bucks. Uh, Anyway, a pile of dough, and it would uh, from at-risk kids, and it would shift it over here to this fund. And if a teacher got their students to improve in test scores, they could get significant salary bumps, like five thousand dollars. And so, I just didn't know if you guys had a sense of is this this kind of incentive a good thing or needed. Or does money is is money driving your your effort in terms of teaching kids, or do you have other motivations?
2: No, of course not. No one goes into education to get rich. Michael will tell you that. Um, no, and 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 that that you know that's such an oversimplified view of what teaching is, and there there would be so many issues with that. How could you equitably give that money out? You know, How do you, how do you assess a kindergartner? You know, it just is is a not well thought out process at all, and it certainly does not reflect why we go into education and what education is about.
1: Michael, well, yeah, I would, I would say firstly, um, educators and, and schools do need to be better funded, and we do need to see um, more financial support coming that direction. But this this is sort of a um, a uh, dis- distraction from that, and I think the research is very solid in showing that uh, bonuses provided to teachers for test scores do not ultimately um, result in in higher student achievement. It further demoralizes teachers and it puts them in a position of competition rather than um, collaboration, which which benefits our schools and our kids. Um, And beyond that, it it would ultimately hurt students of color the most who have uh, the most historically to lose and the most uh, bias against um, when it comes to these standardized tests, whatever, whatever, te- I don't even know if the test was named. So I guess it's some standardized test that one of these right wing legislators writes, which I and, thought we were supposed
0: uh, to be getting away from, you know, right.
1: uh, heavy, heavy testing uh,
0: regimes. Uh, well, and
3: I think it's also important to note that the bill actually stipulates, it's really one person in each building that gets to determine how to award that that additional bonus is what they're calling it. And it's the building principle. Um, and so really it could come down to who the building principal likes the best. And
0: people playing favorites, what? All right, <laughs> I wanted to leave time at the end for just an open mic moment. Uh, and uh, if you were perhaps addressing a, a group of legislators who are listening acutely to what you have to say, and we have two minutes left. So Lauren, why don't you take about 30 seconds and hit it.
3: Sure. Uh, for me, it's uh, you know if you if you truly want an opportunity to hear from teachers and parents, have a hearing on a Saturday.
0: Okay. Good. Um, all right. All right, Kathy.
2: Just uh, I, I would like them to remember that, that Kansas teachers and, and the vast majority of us are are people that truly care about our communities that that care about our students and and just appreciate the legislators supporting us. Legislature supporting our efforts and not, and not vilifying us. We really do have the best interests of our students at heart. And as Lauren, as Lauren said, you know, ask us directly what's going on. We would appreciate that courtesy.
1: And Michael? Yeah, similarly, I, w- I would tell the legislators to um, stop picking on us and um, ask us if they really want uh, to know what what is gonna be best for education, ask educators and, and students um, what, what we need in our schools, and we'll gladly tell them. Um, the, the second part to that is, I would say, stop picking on poor and students of, of color with, with your bills and, and trying to further marginalize them. And lastly, I would, I would say um, teachers, uh, don't don't be afraid to get involved um, in politics and, and um, activism because your voice matters and people will listen to us when we speak up because we know what we're talking about.
0: All right, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank the public school teachers who never gave up on me. I want to thank our three guests today, Lauren Tice Miller, Michael Rebney, and Kathy Harrell. Thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank Thank you. you.